Blog Talk Radio.
and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And you're listening to the King Jordan Radio Show for Tuesday, November 25th, 2014. This is King Jordan you're listening to. Tonight on the show, we will go over Sting and the latest with him. We will also go over um, Survivor Series, um, that, and much, much more. Here to join us, as usual, will be our wrestling insider out of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one, the only, Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ. Welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you, pal? Hey, King. Great to be on. Like you said, so much to talk about from the icon Sting, uh, Survivor Series, Raw, TNA securing a new television deal for 2015, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast joining the WWE Network. Uh, it's it's got so much to get into. Very excited and happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Likewise, and uh, let's start with uh, Sunday's shocking events with the Survivor Series. Uh, very uh, shocking indeed. Um, nobody knew. And, yeah, what a uh, great, yeah, great kept secret. Great kept secret. And uh, do you think that they're going after a uh, possible Triple H uh, sting? match at WrestleMania? Is that is that a little uh, sneak preview of what I possibly Definitely, I think that's a, a good possibility. Uh, we all know that Sting has always said in, uh, in many, many interviews that the number one guy that he wants to work with is The Undertaker, but if he can't work with The Undertaker for whatever reasons, if Taker's not able to compete or for whatever other reasons, he did say that he could see himself possibly wrestling Triple H, someone who is a WWE guy, someone who he's never really stepped in the ring with. And that could very well be a a good possible matchup for Sting, especially after the events of Survivor Series. I mean, it's a great sort of tease to what could possibly happen at WrestleMania. Uh, absolutely. Okay, so what did you think of Survivor Series? Let's hear a little commentary about that. <laughs> oh, Survivor Series. It was the 28th annual Survivor Series event. This Survivor Series was a little bit different than the others before it, just because if you are a new subscriber to the WWE Network, basically you got the pay-per-view for free. And for the history in the WWE, there's never been a free pay-per-view, although there is a catch that, you know, you have to uh, subscribe to the WWE. You have to give them your credit card information. And this month it would be free, but let's say you get it next month, you'll be billed the 9.99. Or if you cancel, you'll still be billed 9.99. But it supposedly was a free pay-per-view for those who did subscribe this month. And for those who were already subscribers, it was 9.99. And, uh, you know, it had its ups and downs. Uh, definitely the end was the biggest moment. It became easily one of the most memorable moments in Survivor Series history, but it all started at the kickoff show in which the WWE has been promoting a brand-new Fandango, and they were repackaging Fandango. He's been off TV for a few weeks, uh, months even, 
and they brought him back. He has a new theme song. They got rid of his I Dream of Genie, uh, you know, theme that we uh, joked about before. And he just has a, a very generic uh, entrance theme. And he has a new dance partner instead of Summer Rae. He now has Rosa Mendez. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to say that the best thing about Fandango before was his ring music. Everybody loved it. They were dancing and singing the melody. So to take that away from him, what do we really have? We just have this guy who occasionally dances. And uh, I don't know if this repackaged Fandango is going to do what they want. I don't know if he's going to have the same reaction, if he's going to, you know, really make it. And I'm worried about the guy, to be honest, because I think Johnny Curtis, Johnny Curtis, who plays Fandango, could be a great wrestler if given the opportunity. But he's just in a situation where he has this kind of weird gimmick. He wrestled a you know a pretty standard match against Justin Gabriel. It was all right. He brought back his finishing move where he does the leg drop off the top rope. It's also very impressive. But uh, for the most part, I wasn't too impressed with the new Fandango, unfortunately. Uh, next up on the kickoff show, still this was all happening. They had two matches on the kickoff show. Cesaro versus Jack Swagger. And Cesaro and Swagger, of course, have a history because of the real Americans. But what was very strange to me is that previously on Monday Night Raw, Jack Swagger was scheduled to be a part of Team Cena. And, of course, the authority, they beat the hell out of Swagger to the point that Swagger was injured and he couldn't be on Team Cena. They had to remove him from Team Cena because of the beatdown that the authority and Seth Rollins and the security guys gave him. And yet, for some reason, apparently Jack Swagger was healed up and he was ready to compete on the show. Now, I'm confused because if the guy was injured and he couldn't compete for Team Cena, why is he wrestling on the card of the pay-per-view if he's injured? So that uh, right away just blew my mind, but that's WWE's logic. So for whatever reason, they took him off Team Cena, said he couldn't compete, and yet he still competed on the pay-per-view anyway. So that just bothered me. But Jack Swagger got the victory over Cesaro. Now we kick off the Survivor Series pay-per-view. And I'm sure if Dominic's listening, he would love this because Survivor Series, the pay-per-view now, mind you, it kicked off with Vince McMahon and the authority. Now, a lot of people were upset about that. They were calling it, instead of Survivor Series, people uh, online were calling it, I think, Sunday Night Raw, because basically it felt like just another Monday Night Raw with the authority opening the show and doing about 15 to 20 minutes of talking, and that's kind of what we saw at Survivor Series. However, I will say in the WWE's defense, If you were a new subscriber to the network and if you were watching this pay-per-view for the first time, this was WWE's way to reintroduce you to what's going on with their show. So if, if by some odd chance you were living under a rock and you weren't watching Monday Night Raw for the past few weeks, this was WWE's way of addressing those new fans and new subscribers that this is the Survivor Series pay-per-view. We have Team Authority, Team Cena. This is the cost. The Authority's position of power is at stake. So while I didn't love the fact they kicked off a pay-per-view 
with, uh, you know, a segment of talking and, you know, with Vince and Triple H and Stephanie kissing up to Vince. I didn't love it, but I could at least understand why they did it. But now we move um, on to JJ, the first. Uh, let me, let's see if we have uh, either Dominic or Blackjack with us. Let's go over to line three. Uh, your line's open. Who do we got? Mr. King, Brother JJ, how are you? Brother Blackjack, okay. good to hear you, man. No echo either. Did the column get no in this week? Yeah, I didn't see it, unfortunately, no. Yeah. Well, I definitely called it right down the, the middle. I mean, uh, I figured Cena's team would win it, but I figured Cena would be the leading uh, participant, participant to uh, win, but it wasn't really him, you yeah. know. Another surprise. I didn't expect that either. Yeah. But, uh, JJ, you were saying, uh, as you were talking about it, Survivor Series. Yes, uh, as I mentioned, the authority and Vince kicked off the show, and then the first matchup on the card was the WWE Tag Team Championships, Fatal 4-Way, the Usos taking on Los Matadors, and taking on Miz and Miz Dow, and, the, of course, the Tag Team Champions, the... Rhodes Brothers, Gold and Stardust. And, of course, all four of these guys are excellent uh, competitors. They're great uh, in the tag team division. They always put a solid uh, match together. I thought they kicked off the show really well. They did some great uh, back and forth. And, of course, the fans in St. Louis were all behind Damian Sandow, Ms. Dow. They were cheering, we want Ms. Dow. They were going nuts for this guy. And, of course, the competitors in the ring, the Usos, even the Miz, every time they would go towards Sandow to tag him into the match, someone would interrupt the tag, preventing Sandow from getting into the ring, which, of course, just led the fans to get more excited and want to see Sandow even more. But uh, some really great stuff, the quick pace, uh, you know, traditional like you would see, just these guys flying in and out of the ring doing sunset flips and German suplexes. I mean, they were doing some really great high spots in this match. Like I said, they did everything they could to make it a very exciting and fun uh, fatal four-way tag match. But eventually, Mizdow would come in and get the victory, securing his first major uh, title in the WWE. Damian Sandow, believe it or not, despite he's been in the company for a number of years now, has never won a major title. He is former Mr. Money in the Bank, but he never actually won a title before. So this is his first championship in the WWE being a tag team uh, with The Miz. And Miz, I believe this is his sixth tag title. And uh, it was just really great because here The Miz gets the, or Damian Sandow gets the victory, and The Miz comes in, grabs the title. He's celebrating. He's raising the both titles, mind you, as if he won the whole thing by himself. And there's Damian Sandow, who, of course, is mimicking The Miz. He's on the opposite uh, turnbuckle, and he's raising his hands up in the air. And granted, he doesn't even have the tag belts. The Miz is holding both of them. And the fans are cheering Sandow, and they're booing The Miz. And there's just back and forth that's just is a lot of fun. And it's something that I said would happen when I said, I think Sandow and Miz – these guys should be the tag team champions. They even have a new T-shirt for Sandow. They're definitely pushing these guys and making the most of Sandow's connection with the fans. So I'm very excited to see where this goes next. So just great news for Damian Sandow. 
tag team champion with The Miz. And as I said, I'm very looking forward to what they do next. Uh, next up, a huge surprise to me, they announced on the pay-per-view that the Stone Cold Steve Austin, we've always been hearing rumors that, oh, Austin's going to come back for one more match. The WWE has been uh, promoting his uh, podcast on Monday Night Raw, what's going on between them. And sure enough, they announced it at the pay-per-view that Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast will be coming to the WWE Network. In fact, next Monday after Raw, they will be doing a live podcast on the network between Stone Cold Steve Austin and his guest, Mr. McMahon. Vince McMahon will be Austin's first guest on his first uh, live podcast on the network. So that is something that it's just never been done before. I didn't even think that uh, you know his podcast would be airing on the network. I know it's been doing very well. You can listen to it. But uh, it's very big for the uh, WWE, for, for the network. Uh, if you've listened to Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast, he's uncensored. So I'm very, uh, you know, interested to hear whether or not they let Austin be Austin and have him be uncensored. I mean, it is live. So that's going to be a very interesting podcast next Monday night after Raw. Stone Cold Steve Austin, Vince McMahon on the WWE Network. So that was a, a big that podcast, uh, I think. I'm sure they podcast. I can't imagine how big the numbers will be. First of all, oh. you'll have Vince McMahon talking to Steve Austin. Second yeah. of all, it's on Raw. Third of mm-hmm. all, it's being plugged by the WWE. I mean, mm-hmm. wow. You have the stars. You have the uh, booking. You have the advertisement. Uh, that, that their numbers are going to be astronomical. And the uh, commercial revenue that they could sell will be uh, astronomical also. So I just want oh, to yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think uh, this will definitely be Stone Cold Steve Austin's highest uh, podcast to date, and it should do very well for the network. Uh, a lot of people should be watching it and listening. So it, it's a very smart move by the WWE, and depending how successful Austin's podcast is, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, any other stars do their own podcast, like maybe a Chris Jericho who has a good relationship with the company or someone else. So who knows what can come from this, but uh, it's very exciting and it's something new, which is always uh, should be fun. But uh, as Survivor Series rolls on, there was a traditional uh, elimination match between the Divas in which Paige led a team from Cameron and Summer Rae and Layla to take on Alicia Fox and her team of Emma, Naomi, and Natalia. And, you know, this this match was, you know, okay for what it was. Uh, It was mostly due for Paige and Alicia Fox, who were partners for a little while while they were tormenting A.J. Lee. But eventually Paige turned on Alicia Fox. The fans were, the fans were, believe it or not, they were chanting for Damian Sandow again during the Divas match. They were chanting, "We want Ms. Dow." Uh, so you can just, you know, understand that what the, the fans were, and that they weren't really that into the match, unfortunately. But Alicia Fox team won, and it was a hands-down victory as none of Alicia Fox members were eliminated at all. I believe Cameron was the first eliminated. By uh, on Paige's team, it was a roll up by Naomi. Uh, Layla was eliminated by Alicia Fox by a, a backbreaker, and then Emma eliminated Summer Rae with her Emma Lock submission. And then it was four on one basically, 
and Paige got eliminated by Naomi with a beautiful finishing move. I got to give Naomi a lot of credit here. I think she's a tremendously talented uh, wrestler. I think she's always been very fun to watch. She's someone who you have to keep your eyes on if you will just give her the opportunity to just go out there and wrestle. She's a great uh, athletic uh, woman, and she delivered this beautiful finishing maneuver that looked like a head scissors DDT. It was just a great move, just came out of nowhere, and boom, knocked Paige out cold, and it secured the victory for Alicia Fox. So as I mentioned, Alicia Fox team were the survivors. Next up was, of course, the the very anticipated match with Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt. Uh, we knew this wasn't going to be a traditional wrestling match by any means, and it was going to be Dean Ambrose, who, of course, is known as the Lunatic Fringe, taking on Bray Wyatt, who is the master of head games and manipulating uh, his fellow opponents and to just getting in their heads and trying to see what makes them tick and use that against them in the match. So we saw something very similar to what Bray has done to other superstars like Daniel Bryan, like John Cena. And at one point during the match, Bray Wyatt went out, grabbed some uh, folding chairs, threw them in the ring, and then Dean Ambrose grabbed the chair, and Bray just you know, went on and said, come on, Ambrose, you're not like them, and you're more like me. And he just was trying to goat Dean Ambrose, but Ambrose, unlike John Cena, who when John Cena was in this predicament, when he had a folding chair that Bray gave him, John Cena didn't hit Bray Wyatt. Dean Ambrose is not John Cena. Dean Ambrose is a lunatic. If you give a lunatic a folding chair, he's going to whack you with it. So sure enough, Dean Ambrose takes that chair, beats the holy hell out of Bray Wyatt, which of course, because it wasn't, uh, you know, it was a a regular match, so, you know, Dean got disqualified, Bray Wyatt got the win, but Ambrose didn't stop there. He went outside the ring, grabbed more folding chairs, threw a bunch of folding chairs in the middle of the ring, much like, of course, uh, reminiscent to, of course, ECW and that the moment where they just had a sea of folding chairs in the ring. This wasn't like that exactly, but, you know, something paying tribute to. And Ambrose threw a bunch of folding chairs in the ring. He even got a, a uh, table. He put a table in the ring. He set it up, put Bray on the table, and he delivered his elbow drop, crushing through Bray Wyatt, through the table. And he wasn't done then. He went back outside the ring, grabbed another table, put the table on top of Bray Wyatt, who was laying unconscious in the ring, crushed through the first table, and here was another table over him. And then and Dean Ambrose continued to grab more folding chairs and just dumping them on Bray Wyatt and on the, the table. And then he still wasn't finished. He went back under the ring, and sure enough, he pulled out a very tall ladder. He put the ladder in the center of the ring, climbed the ladder, and just kind of Ovade got the ovation from the fans. The fans were cheering like crazy for Dean Ambrose. I honestly thought he was going to jump off the ladder. I was actually scared for Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt, who's just underneath all these folding chairs, he's underneath even a table, and there's Dean Ambrose standing on the ladder, and I go, I hope to God he doesn't jump off this big-ass ladder and just land on Bray Wyatt because he'll kill him if he does that, and he might even kill himself. But uh, he didn't do that. Instead, he just got the cheers and the ovation from the fans. And then, of course, the referees came in to get Bray Wyatt. And there was even one point 
where Dean Ambrose wanted to push the ladder onto Bray Wyatt. And the only reason why he didn't was, of course, the referees got in the way and they were blocking Bray Wyatt, so Dean didn't push the ladder on Bray Wyatt. But of then, I, you know, I had said it last month that the WWE did not do a great job promoting Hell in the Cell. It felt like they promoted Hell in the Cell the week before the actual pay-per-view. And then the night that uh, Hell in the Cell was over on Raw, they started promoting Survivor Series. And I like that. We had a whole month to build up to tonight's Survivor Series. And I just mentioned Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt and uh, Ambrose throwing in the chairs and the ladder and the table. And when that match was over, what did they do? They said, well, guess what? Next month at TLC, you're going to see Dean Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt in a TLC match. Tables, ladders, and chairs. There will be no disqualifications. There will be a clear-cut winner. So I was happy again. The WWE time to get fans excited for the next upcoming pay-per-view. We already know that this, hopefully this next matchup between Dean and Wyatt with, with weapons involved, with the tables, the ladders, and the chairs, it should be a chaotic match. It should be a lot of fun. So I'm actually already looking forward to TLC next month. Uh, after that, of course, there was a tag match between Adam Rose, The Bunny, versus Heath Slater, and Titus O'Neil, otherwise known as Slater Gator. And, you know, this match was mostly just to continue the fuel that they've had between Adam Rose and the Bunny. We see that the Bunny is sort of having this miscommunication. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I Bunny is in this tag match, has a miscommunication with Adam Rose, and uh, it seems like the Bunny is trying... Oh, man. The Bunny is taking the spotlight away from Adam Rose, and he's trying to do his trust falls. He's trying to win matches, and he won't tag Adam Rose in. And, you know, everyone's talking about the Bunny, and no one's talking about Adam Rose. So even in this match, the Bunny is wrestling, and the Bunny's wrestling, and Adam Rose is sitting in the corner, and he wants to get tagged in, and the Bunny won't tag Adam Rose in. The Bunny is actually doing a pretty good job wrestling. He's Slater and Titus O'Neil. The Bunny does a missile drop kick. I believe it might have been Heath Slater, and he gets the pinfall. And all the while, Adam Rose is just standing on his side of the corner of the ring with his hand out, wanting to be tagged in, and he was never tagged in. And the bunny is celebrating. The Rosebuds come out. They're all singing his, his song, and they're, they're dancing and cheering away. And Adam Rose is still standing there with his jaw on the floor saying, what the hell, why didn't you tag me in? And it was just uh, one of those rare miscommunications, I suppose, between Adam Rose and the Bunny. So I'm sure Dominic wow. is very excited about <laughs> that tag team <laughs> matchup. I can only imagine his response. But uh, and oh, then boy. finally, yeah, next up, the Divas Championship match, A.J. Lee versus Nikki Bella. And I thought AJ was going to win this match. I thought maybe Bree was going to turn on Nikki. I know we're coming across their one-month stipulation where, you know, Bree is Nikki's sort of servant. And uh, instead, to my surprise, you know, AJ Lee's the champion. She's a Divas champion. And before the match started, Bree Bella comes on the apron holding the Divas title which, of course, gets AJ's attention. And AJ goes up to Bree, you know, like, why do you have my title? 
and Bree grabs A.J. Lee and plants a kiss on A.J. Lee's lips. This, of course, shocks everyone in attendance. Everyone's going, oh, and even A.J. Lee is taken by surprise. And then, sure enough, that leads Nikki Bell with the opportunity to deliver an elbow smash right to A.J.'s face, and she puts her in the torture rack and then delivers the rack attack, her finishing maneuver. She pins A.J. Lee in about 30-some-odd seconds and becomes the new Divas champion. For a lot of people listening, they maybe remember WrestleMania, I believe it might have been 27 or was it 28, in which Daniel Bryan was wrestling Sheamus, and at the time A.J. Lee was his sort of love interest, and A.J. Lee kissed Daniel Bryan, and in, what, 16 seconds, Sheamus kicked Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan lost the World Heavyweight Championship in under 16 seconds at WrestleMania. And here, years later, we would see now Brie Bella using that against A.J. Lee, and now A.J. Lee losing her Divas title. So that was something that was a huge surprise to me. I didn't expect that at all to happen, but hopefully it delivers more uh, fuel to the A.J. Lee and the Bella feud, and we would see a lot more of that on Monday Night Raw. But now this is it. This is the main event. This is what we've been waiting for. Team Authority versus Team Cena, in which if the Authority loses, the Authority is out of power. And if Team Cena loses, then Big Show, Dolph Ziggler, Eric Rowan, and Ryback will be fired. Now, this is something that we didn't know about last week when we discussed our predictions. This was something that they added as a stipulation on SmackDown about the stipulation of Ziggler, Big Show, Rowan, and Ryback being fired if they didn't defeat Team Authority. So that right away, I think you got to know that there's no way in hell these guys are, are going to be fired. So last week we made our predictions. As Blackjack pointed out, he said the Authority – we're going to lose. Even I said Team Cena is going to win somehow. I think we've seen enough of the authority. They've been the focal point of the WWE for the last year. In the beginning of the show, in the middle of the show, at the end of the show, they've been hogging the spotlight away from the talent. And this was up. The match actually started out where Triple H was on the apron with uh, his fellow authority teammates, and he was trying to psych up Mark Henry. He was trying to get him to realize that, listen, our livelihood is on the line. You've got to go out there. You've got to kick some ass. And he was really trying to get Mark Henry psyched. And Mark Henry was ready to go. He looked at John Cena and said, I'm going to beat you. He looked at Big Show and said, I'm going to beat you. He looked at Dolph Ziggler and Ryback and he said, I'm going to beat all you guys. And then Mark Henry went rushing towards the Big Show. And within not even a second, Big Show did his knockout punch, laying out Mark Henry and he easily got the pinfall. Mark Henry, the first person eliminated from Team Authority, and all of a sudden now it's five on four, and this has the authority going nuts because nobody expected that to happen so quick. Mark Henry would lose that quick, that fast through the knockout punch, and that the authority would already be down four to five. So this was a, a an amazing moment. Of course, next up, I believe it was Ryback. Ryback and Rusev were, were feuding, and Ryback got a Rusev kick. Rusev kicked Ryback, and now Ryback was eliminated. So now 
it, the even it was uh the Survivor Series match with the Authority and Cena. It's an even playing field. It's four to four. And then Rusev, who I know I've said before, I think he's undefeated. And even though maybe Rusev has lost a tag match, technically the WWE is still billing Rusev as someone who's never been defeated. He's someone who's never had a loss via submission or pinfall. Maybe he's been counted out. Maybe his partner lost. But Rusev himself has never been defeated. So they're still trying to build him as undefeated. And sure enough, even in this Survivor Series match, despite the fact Team Authority lost, you figure, well, Rusev had to suffer a defeat. Well, technically that didn't happen because Rusev, I don't know who he was uh, wrestling at the time. I think it might have been Dolph Ziggler. And he put Dolph Ziggler, and they were outside the ring. He wanted to slam Dolph Ziggler through the announce table. So what he did was he climbed up the uh, the Michael Cole and JBL's uh, Jerry Lawler's announce table. He put Dolph Ziggler on the Spanish announce table. And he was getting ready to do a diving headbutt off Michael Cole's announce table to the Spanish announce table. But Dolph Ziggler would roll out of the way, and Rusev would basically plant himself through the Spanish announce table, basically knocking him out silly. Dolph Ziggler beat the count, went back into the ring, Rusev got counted out, although technically, according to the WWE, he's still undefeated. No one has pinned him, but now Rusev becomes the third person eliminated in the Survivor Series matchup. Now, fourth, I believe, we finally saw it. We finally saw Eric Rowan, Luke Harper, the two Wyatt members, finally in the ring against each other, laying blows these two heavyweights, and believe it or not, it was... Luke Harper, who got the better of Eric Rowan, and he delivered his patented clothesline, which is very reminiscent of JBL's clothesline from hell, and he defeated Eric Rowan, Eric Rowan becoming the fourth competitor eliminated in the match. So now we come towards, I think, John Cena. Now you're seeing that the deck is being stacked against Team Cena, and all that's really left now is Big Show, Ziggler, and Cena, and, uh, you know, I mentioned that uh, Mark Henry was the first eliminator. Rusev was eliminated by countout. Harper's still in there. Rollins is still in there. Kane's still in there. The big show looks and sees that Ziggler is still kind of out of it, and he's just basically big show and John Cena standing tall against Team Authority. Big show decides he's going to deliver a knockout punch to his own partner, John Cena, Big Show turns on Team Cena, delivers a knockout punch to Cena, laying him out, in which case then Big Show goes up to Triple H, who's ringside, and he shakes his hand. He shakes his hand, and then he walks out, and he gets counted out. So now Team Cena loses another member. They lose Big Show, who was counted out, and he just walked out on the team, and now they lost John Cena because John Cena got pinned by Seth Rollins after Big Show laid him out with the knockout punch. So now we have a situation where it's three on one and it's Kane and Luke Harper and Seth Rollins up against Dolph Ziggler. And you think the odds are stacked against Dolph Ziggler. And as Black Chad pointed out before, we thought John Cena would most likely save the day. He would be the hero who vanquished team authority and that was not the case the captain of team cena 
got eliminated, and everything fell on Dolph Ziggler's shoulders. And I was really happy that this was the decision that the WWE made. I hope that it delivered a big boost to Dolph Ziggler. The fans, of course, are always chanting, we want Ziggler. They're really behind Ziggler. And Dolph Ziggler delivered a hell of a performance in this matchup, going up against the three remaining members of Team Authority. Ziggler would then go on to eliminate Kane by doing the zigzag. He would then somehow eliminate Luke Harper with a roll-up. And now all of a sudden, the man who was down 3-1 to one evens the playing field. And now it's a one-on-one match. Dolph Ziggler versus Seth Rollins with everything on the line. And it was just, you had that feeling that Team Authority was going to lose. After everything that Dolph Ziggler has been through that you've seen in this match, you just thought somehow he has to pull it out. But sure enough, as Dolph Ziggler gets ready to defeat Seth Rollins, who would run in and interfere? Triple H. Triple H would lay out the referee, and he would deliver a pedigree to Dolph Ziggler, in which case now Triple H brings in his own referee, Scott Armstrong, who has done the dirty work for the authority before. And now Scott Armstrong comes running into the ring, Triple H puts Seth Rollins on top of Dolph Ziggler. Scar Armstrong is ready to count the pinfall when all of a sudden you heard these crows chirping. And then all of a sudden the lights went out in the arena. And then all of a sudden your attention went to the entrance ramp. And we finally saw for the first time ever the icon Sting making his debut in a WWE arena, in a WWE ring. We saw him walk down that aisle, something that I think a lot of fans have been waiting to see, something a lot of fans thought they'd never see. And I think as much as we saw Sting and we just took that moment in him on a WWE stage, there were times where I was looking at Sting and I thought, I think even Sting is like, he can't believe he's there. I think even Sting is just taking it in at that moment, that he is there at a WWE event, and it was just unbelievable. What a moment that was. There was a lot of buzz that day, whether or not Randy Orton would show up, whether or not Sting would show up, but really, I don't think anyone really knew for sure. I mean, there's always rumors, there's always speculation, but no one was really 100% that Sting would show up on the pay-per-view. I think some people were hoping but to actually see Sting show up was just unbelievable. Everybody was going nuts. They blew the roof off the joint in St. Louis. And, of course, Sting would walk in and be face-to-face with Triple H, the COO, the game, the cerebral assassin, whatever you want to call him. And they had that moment where Triple H was just eyeing Sting, going, what the hell are you doing here? And the fans were chanting, this is awesome. They were chanting Sting. Like I said, they were just going absolutely crazy. And, of course, since Sting interrupted Scott Armstrong making the pinfall with Seth Rollins and Ziggler, Triple H then just comes at Sting. He tries to throw a punch at him. Sting being very quick, he dodges the punch. He then lays out the game with his patented uh, scorpion death drop, and he laid out Triple H. He then grabs Dolph Ziggler and puts Dolph Ziggler on top of Seth Rollins, leaves the ring. The the original referee from the match crawls back into the ring. 
Count the Pinfall, Dolph Ziggler, the sole survivor of Team Cena, has just vanquished Team Authority and has just ended Triple H and Stephanie's reign in the WWE with the help of the Icon Sting. And while the pay-per-view, like I said, I might have joked before how fans were calling it Sunday Night Raw, you know, with the opening promo with Vince and the Authority, you know, maybe the lackluster uh, Divas elimination match and the whole thing with the Bunny and Adam Rose. But this main event was definitely a match that we will not forget. The first ever appearance of Sting. How many times do we listen to the WWE, you know, talk about, oh, well, remember when The Undertaker debuted at Survivor Series? Remember when The Rock debuted at Survivor Series? Remember the Montreal screw job that happened at Survivor Series? And now this is another iconic, memorable moment that we will be talking about from years to come at the 28th annual Survivor Series. Sting, finally, the man who never stepped foot in a WWE ring, the guy who stayed loyal to WCW, and the guy who even went to TNA over WWE, finally stepped foot inside a WWE ring, and it was just a, an amazing moment. And you got to imagine how great he looked for a man that's 56 years old. You would think he was, like, maybe a... Uh, 46 years old. Uh, he looked tremendous. Um, he didn't look over out of shape. He didn't look bad. He looked just like he did as he left off in DNA. That's right. I mean, if you if you think about Sting and his history in wrestling, he came up with the Ultimate Warrior. And, uh, you know, we all remember the Ultimate Warrior. And, of course, you know, he passed away earlier this year. But we remember seeing him and you know, he looked great, uh, you know, physically he was still a you know, big guy and you know, he had his issues. Then you look at someone like Hulk Hogan and you look at someone like Randy Savage who's no longer with us, a lot of the guys from Sting's era and you look at Sting, Sting looks great. He doesn't look like Hogan who is very brittle and can't wrestle another match without his back going out on him. You know, Sting he looks good and granted he does have you know, the face paint on but you know, for a guy his age, he did look like he hasn't aged one day at all. And uh, it, I'm very excited to see what happens next. And it was just a really amazing moment to see Sting. Like I, like you pointed out, it was like he was never really gone. It's just like when we watched him in WCW or if you watched him in TNA, uh, you know, earlier in the year. I mean, he did look good. Yeah, he didn't lose his, he didn't lose anything from his TNA days or his WCW days, uh, at least for that moment. But uh, I think uh, you'll see him possibly take on Triple H at WrestleMania 31 because Triple H uh, wants also to be in the spotlight with Sting. Uh, even though he pointed out on Raw that uh, Sting wanted to be in the spotlight with him. I think they both want to be in the spotlight with each other, but more so Triple H would, you know, be get the rub uh, by being in the main event or one of the co-main events at WrestleMania if you take on Sting, if the Undertaker can't go. Yeah. But uh, that definitely means that Sting has signed a contract 
with the WWE as a performer. We all knew about the Legends deal, having the licensed yeah. merchandise, T-shirts, uh, the video games. But now that he stepped foot in the ring, I think it's official that he has signed a performer's contract. Now, what does that contract enable him to do, his appearances? I don't know. I couldn't tell you what his dates are on when, how many matches he'll have. Will he have just the one match at WrestleMania and retire? Will the WWE have him come in for more than one appearance? No one really knows for sure what his contract is, but I think we're at the point now where now it's official. He appeared. He made his debut. So there is definitely something in the works, and I hope that we do see a lot more of Sting. I think you'll if see I him may like, uh, uh, King, if I may interject a little information about a little bit about Sting, him coming in, uh, that contract that he had, that no compete clause. Now he's able to wrestle from November to uh, it was like November and and March. He was going to be able to wrestle. So now he can wrestle. Uh, you're gonna probably see him, believe it or not, in a match probably against uh, Triple H. That's what they're looking at at this point in time. It never never has been done, and um, right now you can forget about the rumors about The Undertaker and uh, Sting at this present time. They might swerve in a different direction, but right now we're looking at Triple H against Sting. It's uh, very iconic that Sting, uh, with the few years left in his career, uh, would end it with the WWE. At least like, it looks like he'll end it with the WWE. You ever, never know because he looks in phenomenal shape. Uh, I should hope to be in that good shape uh, when I'm in my 50s <laughs> or even in my 40s. I would hope to look backward. But in any event, um, Sting, I think we'll get a Brock Lesnar contract. It's going to be amazing to see Sting in some of these matches. And uh, possibly him maybe, uh, you know, joining forces with John Cena at Royal Rumble, setting something up. Who knows, you know, the the things that they could do uh, now that they have Sting as a wrestler. But I think he'll be a part-time wrestler, i.e. Brock Lesnar. But the history and, you know, maybe Ric Flair will be involved somehow uh, in terms of uh, being involved. Maybe not wrestling, but just being involved. Uh, you have so much history now in the WWE. Who knows? Hulk Hogan uh, might get involved. Uh, you really grab the uh, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Are we talking <laughs> got about a game? Now. Are we talking about a game, King? Well, no, I'm saying you do have. I'm saying Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair could be involved uh, in a non-wrestling aspect, uh, just being in segments and uh, outside uh, outside of the ring, you know. That would be great with, to do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Smart. And uh, maybe you'll see Sting versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. There's all kinds of, you know, it's early. They could change their mind. Hey, you saw what he did about, to Taker. Come on. That's, that's pushing it. Brock <laughs> against uh, Sting. I wouldn't want to see that match. Yeah, I don't know. If well, I think it'll be Triple H, but I'm just saying there's a lot of ways they could go. Um, yeah. But if you looked at, there was a poll on Facebook 
and uh, well, it, it was it was an unauthorized poll, and thousands of people voted to want to see Undertaker overwhelmingly take on Sting. Yeah. But just looking at Triple H and Sting having that moment there, you know, just the two of them eye to eye, it, it just was something special that you don't see too much. Uh, you don't see it all, in fact. Um, yeah. So I think uh, even though Raw went up against a football game that had to be rescheduled and its regular football game Monday, it might have got hurt. But even I was curious to put on Raw yesterday yeah. to see what was doing. Uh, I want to see Triple H's response, but uh, this is definitely, it's going to a lot of people talking about it. I remember writing in Blackjack, you remember it too, three years ago when they had that fake commercial about the thing coming to WWE, and uh, yeah. nobody knew what was going on, including Sting. Um, but uh, here we are in 2014 with Sting. It'll be one of the biggest stories next year, and it'll be one of the biggest stories uh, this year. Without a doubt. Okay, uh, JJ, so let's go over to Monday Night Raw. Why don't you give us uh, some of the highlights of Raw, what you liked, what you didn't like, mm-hmm. etc. Well, as you, uh, you mentioned, of course, the fallout of Survivor Series was on everybody's mind. Everybody wanted to know... What was going to happen now that the authority is out of power? Sting debuted in the WWE. I think Raw was probably one of the highest rated Raws that it has been in quite some time, just because of the anticipation of what are you going to see? You had that where you didn't know what was going to happen. And that's something that I mentioned last week, how you need something new, something where people don't know what's going to happen. And that's exactly what they got on Raw. You didn't know who was going to be in charge. You didn't know if Sting was going to show up or not. And sure enough, even though the authority is out of power, they did open up the show, which I'm sure, again, Dominic just loved that, seeing the authority who are out of power, and yet they still opened up the show to do a farewell address. And, of course, Triple H and Stephanie got tons of, of you know, booze and the fans were chanting, you know, na 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 na, hey hey, goodbye bye and stuff, and they were just, you know, berating them. And then, of course, sure enough, uh, it was actually funny. If you watch the pre-show on the W Network, they said at first that John Cena was going to name the special guest host or the special, you know, general manager for tonight. Just meaning one night they would have a special guest as the authority figure on Raw. Now then, later on during the pre-show, they decided to change that, which I thought was kind of strange. But then they said, well, it's not going to be John Cena. It's going to be the board of directors. So the WWE, you know, I don't know if there's last-minute changes in the script, but then you you always hear stories that there's always these rewrites and they're always mixing things up. So I don't know if that was the case where originally they had planned that John Cena was going to make the announcement who was going to be the general, the guest general manager for the night. But then they changed their mind and said it would be the board of directors, which then led to the surprise return of Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan came out with the fans going nuts. He was the guest general manager, the guest point of authority for Monday Night Raw, just for tonight, just for that night on Raw. He's not the permanent 
general manager or anything like that. Just for one night only, Daniel Bryan would be the decision maker. And it was kind of funny because as Triple H and Stephanie were leaving and sulking out of out of the uh, out of the ring and going back up the stage, Daniel Bryan just got in their face and he was doing his signature yes chant and he was pointing up in the air right in their face and the fans just loved it. The entire arena in Indianapolis were doing the yes chants and they were pointing up. And every time Triple H tried to walk away from Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan would continue to get in his face and scream yes and point his fingers up in the air. And then when Triple H walked away, Stephanie would try to follow behind him. And then Daniel Bryan got in Stephanie McMahon's face, and he screamed yes and pointed up. And the fans were just loving it. It was a great way for the authority to leave being embarrassed and ashamed and having Daniel Bryan, who they screwed over so many times uh, and took the title off and they put his life and career through so much hell in, you know, matches on TV and handicap matches. And finally, Daniel Bryan had a bittersweet moment where he got to rub it in their faces. And he mentioned that he was going to be the authority figure, but he was going to be fair So he called out Team Authority, Seth Rollins, Kane, Rusev, Luke Harper, Mark Henry, and Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury, who is Seth Rollins' security. And he said he was going to be fair, and he was going to put them all in matches tonight. And he said that Seth Rollins has always been in all these handicap matches where it's him, two or three other people against one or two people. It's always been a handicap where he had the advantage. So he said, Daniel Bryan said, that he was going to continue that. He said he wasn't going to change, and he said he was still going to put Seth Rollins in a handicap match in which the handicap would favor him. But he let the WWE Universe decide who Seth Rollins' tag team partners would be. Would it be Mark Henry and Kane? Would it be Mark Henry and Luke Harper? Or would it be his security, Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury. So the fans could vote via the WWE app who they wanted to see Seth Rollins partnered up with. And then Daniel Bryan would go on to give Rusev the opportunity to defend his United States title in either a battle royal match against the entire WWE roster or all Rusev has to do is go in the middle of the ring and say the Pledge of Allegiance. That's it. He doesn't have to wrestle or anything. All he has to do is go in and say the Pledge of Allegiance of the United States of America. That was his options. And then, of course, the first matchup that Daniel Bryan produced was Mark Henry taking on Ryback. Ryback, who has a history with Mark Henry, I think we all remember at WrestleMania. Mark Henry defeated Ryback. So Daniel Bryan wanted Ryback to get his revenge. So Ryback took on Mark Henry and just delivered one of his devastating meat hook clotheslines, and he got a pretty easy win out of Mark Henry, who I thought was the world's strongest man, but based on his performance lately, unfortunately we're not seeing a lot of the world's strongest man. We saw him got knocked out instantly at Survivor Series, and now we saw him being fed to Mark Hen- or being fed to Ryback on Monday Night Raw in a very quick match. And then, of course, we saw one last segment between the authority, and we saw Vince McMahon in a limo, 
and he looked at Triple H and Stephanie, and he just told them how disappointed he was in them and that he wasn't mad at them for losing. He put the odds against them, and he wanted them to thrive and to work hard and to overcome the odds just like he had did many times before, and the authority disappointed Vince. And then that was that, and they rolled off in the limo, and hopefully that's the last time we see them. And then, of course, we saw Dean Ambrose taking on Luke Harper. Daniel Bryan gave uh, Dean Ambrose an opportunity to face Luke Harper for the Intercontinental title. Unfortunately, uh, Bray Wyatt would interfere in the match, costing Dean Ambrose, and then he delivered a Sister Abigail to the floor of Dean Ambrose. So we're continuing that feud between Wyatt and Ambrose and the fact that these guys are just going to beat the hell out of each other. They can't wait to get their hands on one another. Uh, As I mentioned before, they have that scheduled match at TLC, which will be a tables and ladders and chairs match. So they're going to be getting their hands on each other a lot in the upcoming weeks and finding ways to interrupt each other's matches until they have their pay-per-view match. Now, the guest celebrity of Monday Night Raw was none other than labeled Larry the Cable Guy. Now, Larry the Cable Guy is a very well-known comedian. If you're a fan of him, you probably know him from the Blue Collar Comedy Tour with uh, Jeff Foxworthy, Ron White, and Bill Ingvall. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy is a part of that group of comedians. They go out, they do shows together. They're a pretty close-knit group. You know, he's a funny guy. He's got a lot of commercials, a lot of TV shows. He's appeared in movies. But for some reason, seeing Larry the Cable Guy in the WWE, something just felt very uh, out of place. And uh, I know they're promoting a movie that uh, Santino Morella guest stars in. He has a, a uh, he co-stars with Larry the Cable Guy in Jingle All the Way 2. So obviously they wanted to promote that. So they have Larry the Cable Guy come out on stage with a, it looks like a luchador mask, very similar to Rey Mysterio, and he's wearing no shirt, you know, Larry the Cable Guy, he's a big man, if you've never seen him before, big man, and, you know, they're just trying to have this this humor and this, you know, funny banter back and forth about how he's going to wrestle or not wrestle, and Santino saying, yeah, you can't wrestle, and it just felt like the whole thing just, it just felt like a waste of time, and then they had, uh, you know, Bold Dust and Stardust come out, and then they just kind of looked at Larry the Cable Guy, and they were, I don't know what the hell they were doing. I think Gold Dust gave him a tap on the butt or something. I don't know. It was just a very weird, it just out of place. I, I just felt like there were better ways to use Larry the Cable Guy than what they did there. But that wouldn't be the last time we would see label uh, Larry. I don't know why I call him label Larry the Cable Guy. But, uh, of course, next up, as I mentioned, Goldust and Stardust got a second match with The Miz and Sandow after they lost the tag team titles at Survivor Series. They got an opportunity to face them on Raw. Miz and Sandow, again, the fans, even in Indianapolis, it doesn't matter where Sandow goes, the fans are behind him. They are cheering, we want Sandow or Mizdow, and they're always cheering him and they're booing The Miz. And we saw a lot of that. And I mentioned that Survivor Series, Damian Sandow got the win tonight as Damian Sandow was getting close to beating the the Rhodes brothers. The Miz would tag himself in and steal the victory 
from Sandow, much like how Sandow got the victory at the pay-per-view. This time, The Miz would steal the victory from Sandow, and The Miz would go, and he would raise his hands. He took both tag titles, and he would raise his hands. Damian Sandow, believe it or not, they gave him his own, uh, I believe, Mattel Kid Championship belts. They're, you know, Mattel toys. They release, a, you know, title belts for kids. So Damian Sandow is raising the kid belts, the tag team, you know, kid belts. So they're still playing off each other. The fans are cheering Sandow, but then they're booing the Miz. So, I mean, I enjoy it. I think it's entertaining. I think that uh, there's a lot they can do with this. <clears throat> the fans are behind it. But uh, it, I'm always very interested to see where this goes for Sandow, and I hope it gives him a great push and an opportunity uh, in the future because Sandow is a very talented guy. We know he can wrestle, but for some reason didn't have the connection with the fans. Now he has that connection. So then next up, it was up to Rusev to decide, did he want a battle royal where he would defend his United States title or would he sing the Pledge of Allegiance? So Rusev would come in the middle of the ring. They would have a big United States flag behind him, and he would have to sing the or the Pledge of Allegiance. But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. So then here comes Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter, you know, very patriotic, uh, you know, with the, his time. He was an honorary G.I. Joe at one point. You know, Sergeant Slaughter comes down to the ring and tries to get Lana to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. But then Rusev stops her. And then Rusev gets in Sergeant Slaughter's face, and it seems that he's going to do something to Sergeant Slaughter. And instead, we get the real American himself, Jack Swagger, to come in and save the day from uh, Sergeant Slaughter. And then Jack Swagger runs Rusev out of the arena. But according to Daniel Bryan, he was supposed to do the Pledge of Allegiance or have the Battle Royal. He didn't do either. So why is he the United States champion? I thought Daniel Bryan should have stripped him of the United States title, but that didn't happen. Maybe there'll be repercussions next week on Raw. I don't know, but that was one thing that did bother me was that Rusev didn't have any repercussions. He was supposed to do the Pledge of Allegiance or have a battle royal. He chose the Pledge of Allegiance. He didn't do it, and yet he still has the United States title. I didn't like that. But Again, we would see Larry, here I go again. Larry the Cable Guy was, uh, I think, at the concession stand, and Kane was now, instead of being corporate Kane, Kane was going to be concessions Kane, and Kane would be giving out, you know, popcorn, soda, peanuts to fans at the concession stand. So Larry the Cable Guy and Santino would go up to concessions Kane, and Larry the Cable Guy asked for a hot dog, and he wanted lots of mustard. So Kane grabs the mustard and just pours it all over Santino Morella. Larry the Cable Guy gets a donut. Uh, donut. He gets a hot dog, takes his hot dog, and just kind of rubs it all over Santino, who's covered in mustard, takes a bite out of it, and just sort of walks away. So that wouldn't be the last time we would see uh, concessions, Kane, because all of a sudden Ryback would show up, 
and Ryback, who always, you know, feed me more. Uh, it's Thanksgiving this week, so of course, you know, he must have a feeding frenzy. So he goes up, Ryback goes up to Concessions Kane, and Ryback, he wants food. He wants, you know, he wants to eat. He wants to be fed. So Kane instead throws some popcorn at Ryback's face. Well, that pisses off the big guy. So then the big guy pushes the concessions table into Kane, and he starts throwing all the all the food. He starts dumping the ketchup and mustard all over Kane. Kane goes running off, and then Ryback grabs some peanuts, and he looks at Kane, who's running off off camera, and goes, "Hey, Kane, you forgot your nuts!" And he throws it at him which I thought that was just hilarious. I don't know if that was improv or they had that planned, but that was something that, yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. I think a lot of people on, on Twitter, everybody was tweeting about Ryback, told Kane to, how he forgot his nuts. So it was something that got a lot of people talking. So then, of course, we saw, again, the repackaged Fandango. And, again, we saw him come out to his new theme music, and he has Rosa Mendez, and they do this little sort of dance and holds and poses. And I just, for whatever reason, I feel like we've seen everything that there is to be seen from Fandango. And I hope that, you know, the WWE has a plan for this guy. I hope there's something more than just what they're doing now because it just seems they're doing exactly what they did before. And that didn't go anywhere for the guy. And I think the guy is better than that. I think he has a lot more talent. But for this particular character, I think he's stuck in this, you know, he's just doing what he's supposed to. And I don't think, unfortunately, it's going to get over with the fans. He wrestled Justin Gabriel again. He beat him. And uh, the fans were, were pretty bored. They, were, they weren't cheering. They weren't booing. It was a very quiet. Uh, at one point, the fans were chanting for CM Punk which is never a good sign that they're chanting for him over the guys in the ring. But uh, it's just it's very sad to see because they made such a big deal, the new and improved Fandango, and instead it seems like nobody cares. Once they took away his theme song, which is what caught on in the first place, I mean, I don't know what yeah. to do with him now. But uh, again, we would see the big show. The big show would come out and address the fans why he turned on Team Cena. He would talk about how you guys don't understand me and the situation I'm in and my, my livelihood's on the line. And, you know, he was trying to get the fans, hey, well, you know, you're not in my shoes. And, you know, the authority made my life hell. It looked like we were going to lose. And I didn't want my life to be like hell. So I joined them and I wanted to help them. And all of a sudden, here comes Eric Rowan. Eric Rowan, who for the most part doesn't talk, wears that cheap mask. And he comes out, former member of the Wyatts. He had that altercation with Luke Harper at the pay-per-view. But uh, someone who doesn't speak much, he comes in and he goes up to the big show and all he says is, I don't like bullies. And he starts beating up on the big show. So now we have Eric Rowan and the big show just kind of, you know, two super heavyweights, two big guys. I mean, you look at Eric Rowan, who's almost eye-to-eye with the Big Show. It just goes to show you how big of a person Eric Rowan is. I mean, Big Show, who's practically over seven feet, 400, 500 pounds, and Eric Rowan is pretty much standing toe-to-toe with the guy. And the fans were loving it. The fans were behind Eric Rowan. I guess, you know, they're, they're really into him. He's a very unique and odd character. So... 
that we're curious to see what happens with Eric Rowan and Big Show. Probably more will be addressed on SmackDown. But now here comes the next matchup. Brie Bella takes on AJ Lee. Now, as I mentioned at the pay-per-view at Survivor Series, Brie Bella kissed AJ, giving her the kiss of death. The same thing that AJ did to Brian at WrestleMania, which cost Brian the World Heavyweight title. This time, Brie did it to AJ, and it cost AJ the Divas title. So now Brie wrestles AJ. Brie gets the uh, the win over AJ Lee, but AJ, to her regard, she was probably the most talked about uh, person on social media on Monday night because as she came out to the arena, she had a microphone. And that's something that AJ Lee, if you give her a microphone, I think she could be very interesting. I think she's someone who, if you just let her talk, she can be controversial. She can get people's attention. She can get people talking and listening. Something, for the most part, the Diva division hasn't been able to do. People maybe tune out or they're not interested in the Divas. But when AJ is involved, somehow people are paying attention. So AJ, of course, comes out with the microphone, and she tells the Bellas, let's be honest. Let's be honest. As I mentioned before, Brie kissed her. They had this, you know, kind of lesbian moment. So AJ poking fun at that. And next thing I know, it's trending on Twitter, lesbianist. So that was something I thought was very smart. It was funny. It got people talking on social media. Even though AJ lost the match, she grabs the microphone. And then she mentions to the Bellas that talent is not sexually transmitted. Because if you're following the WWE, if you're following any of their programming, like Total Divas, you know publicly that Brie Bella is Daniel Bryan's wife. You know publicly that Nikki Bella, even though you don't see it on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown, but if you watch Total Divas, you know Nikki Bella is with John Cena. So AJ kind of breaking the fourth wall and saying just because John Cena and Daniel Bryan have talent and just because you're sleeping with them doesn't mean you have talent. Now, this was something that, again, caused a lot of people on social media to get talking. Some people loved it and thought it was hilarious that AJ would make a comment like that. And then there were people who were saying that AJ was a hypocrite that A.J. Lee is the pot calling the kettle black because, as a lot of people know as well, A.J. Lee is married to C.M. Punk. Now, the only thing I could say to the people calling A.J. Lee a hypocrite is that A.J. said something on WWE television that the WWE is very well known about. As I mentioned before, if you watch Total Divas, you know it's a public knowledge. Daniel Bryan is with Brie Bella. John Cena is with Nikki Bella. If you watch WWE programming, you don't know that AJ Lee is with CM Punk. They've never once mentioned their marriage. They never once mentioned their engagement. They never once mentioned them as a couple other than that run AJ had with Daniel Bryan, with Dolph Ziggler, with John Cena, and with CM Punk and Kane. 
from a couple of years ago. That is the only connection that AJ has with CM Punk on WWE television. That's what they're trying to talk about. So people calling AJ Lee a hypocrite, they're reading way too much into it. This is sports entertainment. They're trying to tell you something that you already know. It's public knowledge. The WWE put that information out there. So that's why AJ's talking about it. You're not going to hear probably Brie Bella or Nikki Bella talking about that to AJ. You're not going to hear them mention CM Punk's name on WWE television. But it's all right for AJ to say it because it's publicly known on WWE programming that Brie and Nikki are with Brian and Cena. So there's a lot of people that are reading way too much into that, and they need to slow it down a bit because they only know that because they read the dirt sheets. They only know that information because they invade their personal lives. That is their personal lives. This is something that is very public. As I mentioned before, it is a part of WWE programming. So until they announce something that AJ is with Punk on WWE television, that's a different story. But for what they said, what AJ said, that was perfectly all right. I'm not going to call AJ Lee a hypocrite because it's something that is written within the storylines. So people need to just calm down. This is wrestling. This is an angle. This was AJ to get heat from the Bellas. That's all it is. Don't look more into it. That's it. That's all I got to say about that. The next up, we saw more Adam Rose and the Bunny with Tyson Kidd in an interspecies match in which Tyson Kidd was partnered with his wife, Natty Neidhart, who, again, is publicly known if you watch Total Divas, hell, if you watch Monday Night Raw, or if you watch NXT every Thursday night, you know Tyson Kidd and Natty Neidhart are married. You know they're together. They're even being paired together on television. So Adam Rose and the Bunny, of course, as I mentioned on the pay-per-view, the Bunny got the victory over Adam Rose, got the victory, and Adam Rose was very upset. Adam Rose was disgusted. He wanted to be tagged in. The Bunny didn't tag him. So now we have a situation where Adam Rose is wrestling Tyson Kidd, and the Bunny was outside the ring, and the Bunny was going to grab Tyson's kid leg. He was going to grab his leg and trip him so that Adam Rose would have the advantage. Tyson Kidd reversed the Irish whip, in which case it led Adam Rose to hit the ropes, and the bunny wasn't looking, so the bunny just grabbed whosever's legs was close by the ropes, and it happened to be Adam Rose. So the bunny tripped Adam Rose by accident, and it led to Tyson Kidd getting the victory, in which case we would see Adam Rose again being upset and upstaged by the bunny. So now we come across the main event in which the fans could vote who Seth Rollins' tag team partner would be, and it was completely overwhelming. The result was 93% of people voted for Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury to be Seth Rollins' partner. And to be honest, it was great. I like Jamie Noble. I like Joey Mercury. For the first time ever, I think, in their careers, they main evented Monday Night Raw. I don't think Jamie Noble ever main evented Monday Night Raw before. So Noble, Mercury, main evented Raw for the first times in their wrestling careers with Seth Rollins to take on John Cena and Dolph Ziggler. And it was a real fun match. Of course, Noble and Mercury, even though they're accomplished wrestlers, 
they're in a situation, as we pointed out before, where they're kind of like the Stooges, like the way Pat Patterson and Briscoe were for McMahon in the Attitude Era. You know, they're kind of like two goofballs. So that when they were wrestling Ziggler and Cena, they were kind of running the ropes with each other. They were bumping into each other. It's like they didn't know what the hell they were doing. But they were doing that only because they were in character, and they were just trying to make it a fun match. I didn't have a problem with that. I enjoyed it. And eventually it would lead up to Dolph Ziggler again scoring the victory and uh, getting the win for in the match. And it was just a, it was a fun, fun finish. But before the show ended, Michael Cole just got a message from the anonymous general manager. And you heard that right. They dimmed the lights. They had that annoying push notification alert that you would hear back a couple years ago when they had the anonymous general manager, who turned out to be Hornswoggle. But they did it again. They played that same push notification sound. They dimmed the lights. They have Michael Cole saying, you know, if, you know, and I quote, I got an email from the anonymous raw general manager, and they just mentioned that next Monday, of course, next Monday will be Cyber Monday after Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Of course, there's Cyber Monday, and that the new the new raw general manager will bring order back to Monday Night Raw. So I'm hoping that they're going to announce who's going to be the new permanent general manager to Raw, unless we have more of this anonymous general manager that we had years ago, in which case I I hope they don't do that. Because if I have to sit through Michael Cole saying, and I quote, I don't know what I'm going to do. But, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of people... Yeah, a lot of people were let down. They wanted to see Sting. They were real excited with Sting ending the Survivor Series pay-per-view. They thought, well, maybe we'll see Sting for the first time ever on Monday Night Raw and hear his response, why did he cost the authority? But unfortunately, that did not happen. Unfortunately, there was no Sting on Monday Night Raw, but it did get a lot of interest. As I mentioned before, it, Raw was one of the highest-rated Raws it has been in some time. So a lot of people were expecting Sting. They wanted to see Sting. They wanted to know the fallout from the authority. They wanted to know who would be the new general manager. And for that one night only, it was Daniel Bryan. But who will be the permanent general manager? Well, that's up for anyone. I mean, it could be Mick Foley. It could be Paul Heyman. I don't know. No one really knows for sure who will take over the place of authority. Maybe it could be Ric Flair. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, recently on the WWE Network, they had a little uh, episode with Joey Styles and Paul Heyman called ECW Exposed. Now this, if you're an ECW fan, is amazing. I don't know if you saw it yet, JJ, or heard it, uh, with Heyman and uh, Joey, where they talk about the old days of ECW. But I have the clip here, and uh, I'm going to play it now. And on the other side, uh, we'll talk about it. some good, good stuff with Paul Heyman and Mr. Joey Styles. Take a look. It was up in your face! Oh my god! 
questions because we were abruptly cut off the air at midnight Eastern time in the middle of answering fans' questions who tweeted their questions to Paul Heyman and myself using the hashtag ECWExposed because, of course, you cut off television at the most compelling part of the program to show I don't know what rerun. So we've got more questions from our fans. Are you ready to answer more questions? Wow. Yeah. Are you that ramped up? What is the first Where question? have you been all the... You know, if you had done this on Monday Night Raw, they would never replace you with Michael this Cole. This is exactly why I, I got thrown off Monday Night they Raw. They never replaced you with Michael Cole. They replaced you with Coach. Of all people, Coach. Actually, Jim Ross came back to Raw. I was replaced on well, what does that tell you? They hate him. Hate him. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, we're keeping all this. You can edit around it. Where's the question? They wanted ECW, right? They got it. Oh, they got it. All right. We're going to get I was it. replaced on the, uh, the, the... Oh, never mind. Okay. Why <laughs> Do you miss running ECW? <laughs> Not tonight, I don't. <laughs> Is that it? I don't know. Do you miss running ECW? No. I don't miss anything in my life. I, I, I never look back. This is the most I've looked back in years. I, I don't. I don't look back. I really don't. You, you, never... you enjoy being the advocate now for the reigning, defending WWE World Heavyweight Champion Brock Lesnar. I'm not making fun of you. I've just been dying to do that. When, 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 when I got when I got when I went on the road as Pauly Dangerously, people would say, "Do you miss Studio 54?" No, I had a great time at Studio 54, but I, I moved on from Studio 54. When I left WCW and, and I started all the behind-the-scenes stuff in ECW, oh, do you miss being Pauly Dangerously? No, I had, I had fun as Pauly Dangerously, but I, I, I don't miss it because now I'm doing this. I, 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 I live seven and a half years of my life, day in, day out, 24-7, 365, ECW. And, 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 and I loved every single solitary minute of it, even the, the worst moments of it. I, I, it. It was my dream. It was my baby. It was my life. And now it's not my life. Now, now I've moved on to do something else. And I never spend my time looking back. I spend my time looking forward. If, if, if I, w I don't want to be one of these, you know, stereotypical boxers that, you know, sit in a room and they look at the old 8-millimeter projection of themselves, you know, in black and white. Ah, the right cross by Dempsey, you know. And, oh, that's what, I, that's, that's what I was when I was relevant. I want to be relevant. And I don't want to be irrelevant. And I don't want to just say that my best days are behind me and, and, and that I, I live for the glory of the past. So I live for the glory of the future, and I keep on looking forward into the future, and I, I don't really live vicariously through my own past. That was an excellent answer. You should have just gotten into that instead of making me pull teeth, for the love of God. Next question. Do you still hate Eric Bischoff? It goes back into looking forward and not back. Um... I don't really think about Eric Bischoff. And if I did think about Eric Bischoff, I can't really say that I hate him anymore because ECW grudges died with ECW. But, but even if even if ECW grudges did die, didn't die with ECW, I, I, hate's a pretty strong emotion. I don't know if I would invest that type of emotion and venom into someone that I, I don't really have anything to do with anymore. That's a great answer. Uh, as for me... I like how you say that that's a great answer as if you're surprised. Like, oh, well, most of his answers are moronic answers. No, and then I, I come just, up with I, a, I Shouldn't just, all my answers be great? I'm just saying that despite the fact that we advertised this as ECW exposed and everything was going to come out, that I still had reservations as to whether or not you wouldn't hold back. You didn't hold back. You let everything go. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that I am thrilled that this is exactly what was advertised because it's so 
so rare in the world today. You are letting everything fly, and I'll do the we same. We always lived up to our stipulations. <laughs> I'll do the same. I like Eric Bischoff. Frankly, he, he was a fan of my work. He wrote it in his book. I had an open invitation to leave ECW. I never did. I went down with the ship. That son of a... I hate him! Tommy Dreamer and I went down with the ship. I enjoyed working with Eric Bischoff when he was the general manager of Raw, and we still speak every once in a while. So as long as we're putting it all out there, that was a great question. Oh, I do wouldn't we, have gone that far. Do we have I more... like him. Do we have more... You don't have to like him. I mean, you can just say you don't I hate him anymore. I respect him, and I like him. Wow. All right. In your eyes, who did you believe would be the biggest star from ECW? You mean homegrown talent? Yes. I thought Taz would have translated better in WWE. I knew the Dudleys were going to be stars no matter where they went. I mean, they, they had it all. Uh, Rob Van Dam. Joey Styles. Honestly. Um, in my wallet. I, I, I can't put myself in that equation, though I think I've done pretty well after ECW because I never, you think? My, I never you think? envisioned you're myself the, back on You're the, the greatest manager in the history of our industry. Now Bobby Heenan fans can send me nasty tweets. I mean, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm not a manager. I'm an advocate. Whatever you want to call I yourself. Also, in all serious, I, I never envisioned myself back on the air. I mean, when I came to work in WWE in 2001, part of my deal was I wouldn't go back on the air. And then, of course, Jerry Lawler walked out, and I got the phone call saying, Hey, pal, uh, need you to sit in next to Jim Ross for a couple of weeks on Raw. And you're a new employee who went personally bankrupt fighting tooth and nail to keep this company afloat, and you're certainly not going to say, No, I'm too burnt out to go back on the air. You know, also, you got to realize being the co-host of Monday Night Raw was an accomplishment I, I never had made. So, you know, I, I was co-host of WCW Saturday Night with Jim Ross, you know, the Superstation. Yeah. Saturday Night 605. And Watched that, that it every was a week. Thing, yep. and, you know, and, and I was co-host of the pay-per-views uh, back then. I was the youngest co-host of pay-per-views in history back then. Um, so I had accomplished everything as a commentator in WCW. And then I was the owner of a company at, tw at 28. Um... I had never been the co-host of Raw. That, that was a prestigious position. Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler had made it their role for seven or eight years. So to be, I can't tell you I wasn't tempted anyway, because I was. That's, that's fantastic. All right, do we have more fan questions? Foreign talent like Masato Tanaka and Tajiri were key in ECW. Who else would you have brought in full-time? Masawa and Kobashi. I wanted Masawa versus Kobashi on ECW pay-per-view. Wow. Almost had it for Heat Wave 1998. And we ended up with Rob Van Dam and... Sa Not that I'm complaining about this. Rob Van Dam and Sabu against Hayabusa and... Uh, Jinsei... Shinzaki. Shinzaki, who Shinzaki. was Hakushi. Ha Haku... Hakushi. Here in WWE. Right, right. That was an outstanding match. And Hayabusa. Yeah, I, I think what fans may not know, it's so easy to go online now. You go to YouTube, you go to Daily Motion, you can go to almost any site, and you can find footage of Japanese wrestling. Well, way back in the 90s, you actually had to mail VCR tapes back and forth from the United States to Japan or buy them or, or to get around the law, you would do tape exchanges. So for American wrestling fans to see good Japanese wrestlers was very rare, and uh, I think it was a big coup that you were able to get so many uh, Japanese wrestlers in ECW, and I had a blast calling their matches. They don't mess around. 
Uh, I, I'm not sure that they knew they were sports entertainers. No, I, I think actually one of the greatest feuds in ECW, and I would dare say that it would rival Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis and Rey Mysterio versus Uvintum Guerrero, was Tajiri versus Super Crazy. Oh, yeah. And I would even say that Tajiri versus Super Crazy was outdone by Tajiri versus Super Crazy versus Little Guido. Little Guido, Guido after those three-way the matches. The greatest three-way matches we ever had Absolutely. in ECW. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Guido was uh, underrated. He doesn't get as much credit as, as he should. What a tremendous workhorse, what, yeah. what, 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 and what a pleasure to deal with. What a, what a great company man, what a great ECW company man, and yes, dramatically underrated. All right. Uh, more fan questions. If you could change one thing from ECW, what would it be? It goes back to uh, uh, an ad sales team. Um, we had a general manager, a, a de facto CEO named Steve Carroll, and he was in charge of a lot of our business, as you know. And there was a lot of things that Steve Carroll was put in charge of, and, and he excelled in. Uh, we would never have had a video game license without Steve Carroll. We, um, I still have one of those games. I just bought it at a used video game shop, the Acclaim uh, uh, Hardcore Revolution ECW. Uh, hardcore Revolution, I think there it was. was an, there, there was extra, uh, Hardcore Revolution and Anarchy Rules. Okay. There were two video games. The first one I got for $4.99. We, we would never have had a video game. We never would have had uh, the, the deal with the original San Francisco toy makers for our action figures. All of these contracts uh, were negotiated by Steve Carroll, and then we brought in the lawyers. Uh, one thing that Steve Carroll did not excel at was, 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 was ad sales. And... Um, in hindsight, if I could change anything about ECW, was again looking back in hindsight, it's 2020. I would have put together an ad sales team, or I would have directed Steve to to channel some of his energies instead of negotiating a magazine deal or going after this. I think we started going after so many different licenses at a time where we should have concentrated on ad sales, and that we could have desperately used that revenue at that time. Let me ask you a question. Because we were so over the top at that time, I mean, this is when the Attitude Era started, and I think Extreme Championship Wrestling went to places that even WWE said, we're not going that far. Would we have had a hard time getting major national advertisers? Yes, but it depends on, on where you direct your attention. Tommy Boy Records never had a problem sponsoring ECW music. Uh, BMG Music never had a problem advertising on ECW. Uh, we, ha we had a uh, a pinnacle, which was uh, uh, the, the bodybuilding supplement brand yep. that had no problem. Uh, at, at the end, we had uh, uh, Geffen A&M and Interscope Music, Universal Music, mm -hmm. was advertising on ECW because we had developed a relationship uh, with Jimmy Iovine, mm -hmm. uh, and, and who actually bought a piece of the company at the very end, which gave us a couple more weeks to negotiate deals. Or <laughs> you know, that, that didn't happen, but, but still, it all depends on, on who you would take these deals to. Traditional brands would not have advertised on ECW. But then again, where the business was headed in 2000 and then 2001, the style was going to change. I mean, the blood and guts, the barbed wire had run its course. Uh, the, the so where was it going? If we had continued past 2001 and the barbed wire and the blood and guts had run its course, where were you going to take ECW? Probably a more progressive style, more based a little bit, kind of a hybrid between MMA and uh, what professional wrestling had become, uh, which would have been identified by the crop that ended up really starting the Ring of Honor promotion. Uh, the CM Punks, the Samoa Joes, the Brian Danielsons, Daniel Bryan, um, Dean Ambrose, 
um, uh, Seth Rollins, uh, most of the crop of the 2002-2003 independents mm -hmm. uh, would have gravitated towards ECW. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I, I, this is something that Punk and I have spoken about for years. You know, would he have come to ECW? Would I have reached out for him? And he was on our radar. I sure, mean, he, yeah, I remember. We, we already knew about him. We knew about Loki. Yep. I, I didn't actually, Loki was showing up at our events just wanting to wrestle. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't give him a job because it looked like we were going down. I didn't want to start something that mm -hmm. would never, you know. So um, that would have been the style. I mean, obviously, the hardcore style had run its course. So with that new style coming in, could we have reached out and, and branded ourselves with more advertisers? I, I think we could have, absolutely. This, these are great questions. Uh, what's our next question? What is your favorite ECW episode? I'll let you answer that first because I have a very specific answer for that. Um, I'm going to have to say my favorite ECW episode was the Malenko Guerrero Classic, the two out of three falls match, uh, the send off for uh, Dean and Eddie that we saw on the first part of ECW Exposed because whatever episode it was on, it was the single greatest match I've ever called. And I understand WrestleMania is in front of 80,000 people and it's seen in 150 countries on pay-per-view. I don't care there's only 1,000 people in, in that converted bingo hall. It was just magic, and personally, I got lost in the moment when I saw how good and fluid and what a great story Eddie and Dean were telling with their unbelievable athletic skills, and I think a lot of our fans got lost in it as well. So whatever episode that match is on is my favorite episode. I respect that answer. My answer would be the one-hour broadcast from WrestlePalooza in 1997. That started with the final battle of Tommy Dreamer versus Raven, segued into the return of Sabu, segued into the return of Rob Van Dam, segued into the debut in ECW of Jerry Lawler, which then led to the rematch of Taz versus Sabu, which then led to Taz choking out Shane Douglas in three minutes to become the ECW World Television Champion. It was the finest one hour of ECW. It was the most indicative of the storyline style that I like to implement. It was Tommy Dreamer and Raven at their best, Beulah at her best, uh, Rob Van Dam at his best, Sabu at his best, Jerry Lawler, just phenomenal as the anti-ECW villain coming into our bingo hall. Um, Taz and Sabu, uh, and then Shane Douglas at his best, Francine at her best, and as far as your call, I thought it was your best one-hour call. So in terms of show me one episode of ECW so I understand what the promotion was about, that's the episode I would show somebody. And you know what we just demonstrated is that you, as the master storyteller, chose the episode with the most best storylines, and me as the sports play-by-play -play announcer who called wrestling as if it were a sport, I chose the show where I got to cho uh, call a match that I felt was pure sport. Well, the question is, what's your personal favorite? So yeah. Obviously, you play to the things that mean most to you and, 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 and that you are most proud of. All right, and I'm being told in my uh, earpiece here that we have 
One more question that would be a great way to wrap up ECW Exposed Part 2. That's what I'm calling this. Anyway. How does it feel having such a lasting legacy even after ECW folded 13 years ago? It's very gratifying, but I don't want it to define me. Uh, I... Again, I, I, I'm very hesitant to go through life being uh, ECW pioneer, whatever the adjective that will be put in front of me for ECW. I, I, I'm just, I, I, I don't want to be labeled like that. I, and, and I'm very proud of it, and, and I'm very appreciative of it. And, and I can honestly tell you, um, it was seven and a half years of my life. I, I would never trade for any other seven and a half years of my life. But um, it, uh, I said it at the end of my DVD, and, and, and nobody understood where it came from. My ch you know this. You're a father. My children are my legacy. Absolutely. You know, and, 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 and long after I'm gone, um, I don't know if it really is going to matter. Or, oh, yeah, do you, you know, where, where strangers who never really knew me say, do you remember ECW? That Paul Heyman, oh, 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 what he put together. What's going to matter is what my children tell their children about me. And that's my legacy. And I know that that's very deep for such, you know, a, a question like that where I'm supposed to tell you how much it means to me. And it does mean, it means, it means so much to me that, uh, that, that people remember ECW so fondly. But at the end of the day, it can't be the thing that defines me as a man. Now I'm going to tell you something because originally I was thinking about the answer before you talked about us being fathers. And I felt my announcing career should have ended after ECW One Night Stand 2005. I, I'd been out of uh, our industry for four years. It was supposed to be just one night. Even though it was a WWE-produced pay-per-view, it was exactly like the original ECW. My career should have ended then. For business reasons, I came to work for WWE as an announcer. Two and a half years in, I started working with WWE Digital Media, and I've never been happier. Love my job. I wish somehow I could have transitioned from ECW One Night Stand 2005 as an announcer and gone right into digital media. But you touched on being a parent, and I want you to hear this story. My son just is the kind of kid who's not interested in, in sports or what we do, but he loves playing with his action figures and creating stories and superheroes, so I got a, an action figure. You know, I never got an ECW action figure. I got a WWE action figure. So I said, Joseph, would you like to play with a daddy action figure? And he looked up at me and he goes, no, can't I just play with you? <laughs> and isn't that the greatest feeling in the world? Yes. Because that's what it's all about. And I think that's a great way for us to end ECW Exposed Part 2 on a warm and fuzzy feeling, which makes about as much sense as everything else that went on in this studio tonight. So uh, thank you, Paul, for answering all the questions honestly. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the opportunities you gave me in this industry. Uh, and is I, I got to thank the WWE television crew because this show was only an idea a week ago, and it was put together by some Just very. Just everybody took us. Honestly, I, yeah, I've never seen people work this hard, this fast, and put this kind of show together. I did it for seven and a half years. Good, kiss her, took us. Good night, everybody. Okay, that wraps up for ECW Exposed Part 2. I have no idea how all of this will be edited and end up on video on demand. But, uh, you know, I could be unemployed by the time it does. I know you're jonesing to be on the air all the time. It's oh, over. God, no. It's over now. Okay. No, 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 no
the door is that way. Goodbye, I'm trying to leave. Goodbye, nice people. Goodbye. Thank you Goodbye, very nice much. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. The door's over here. Jack. Yeah, how are you? <laughs> so what do you think about that clip of ECW? I thought it was great. Now, JJ, as you heard that clip, uh, I'll tell you, that was some good, good stuff. Uh, it reminds me of back of uh, watching in the uh, early 2000s and the late 90s. And uh, Paul Heyman being very candid uh, about everything, and Joey also being very candid and talking about their tri- uh, children. Uh, what was your take on that? Well, as you, as you mentioned, uh, this was part two of uh, ECW Exposed. I did see part one, which was uh, a week before. And because it actually went so long and they had so much they wanted to cover, and because they had a scheduling conflict, which what was coming up next on the WWE Network, they decided to keep rolling and just tape part two then and to air it the following week. So that's what you heard just now was part two of ECW Exposed, which you can see on the network. And this was just dedicated to a lot of the Q&A that they still had to go over uh, from the fans. And it really was. I mean, Paul Heyman, Joey Styles were very candid. They were, you know, very honest. We heard uh, Joey Styles, who did get, you know, very hot. And uh, when they talked about certain issues, and they talked about, of course, when Joey uh, was announcing for WWE, and then he got replaced by Coach and Adam, uh, Mike Adamley, and they talked about stuff like that. They talked about Eric Bischoff, who. You know, I'm surprised they mentioned his name, but, you know, they were being candid, as you pointed out. They were being honest. And, you know, uh, Paul Heyman said that he doesn't really hate Bischoff. He doesn't, you know, take that time to hate a man. He said whatever grudges he had with uh, WCW, with Eric Bischoff, you know, that died with ECW. And even Joy Styles said that, you know, I like uh, Eric Bischoff. You know, I never had a problem with him. He says he always had an open invitation come over and be the announcer for WCW. And I think uh, that was surprising, you know, that Joey Styles could have potentially been the voice of Monday Nitro as opposed to ECW, but he stayed. That would have been awesome. That really would have been. You can imagine Styles calling some of those cruiserweight matches, calling the matches between Sting and, you know, Hogan or the NWO. I mean, it, that would have been pretty uh, amazing in itself, but you know, Styles stayed loyal to ECW. He went down with the ship, much like Tommy Dreamer, who always stayed loyal to ECW. They talked about uh, guys who they thought would be big stars, like the Dudley Boys, who were, I mean, you could arguably one of the greatest tag teams in the history of wrestling. I know they often get compared to the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, but the Dudleys, uh, you know, their career, their success in whatever promotion they're in, ECW, WWE, uh, Japan, uh, TNA, I mean, they have really taken their 
you know, success everywhere, and they've done everything that there could possibly be done. They've always had tremendous uh, tag matches. They have a great uh, connection with each other. They work so well together. They're very exciting. They're fun. They're raw. They're just hard-hitting sons of bitches. I mean, the Dudley boys are amazing. And uh, Rob Van Dam, I mean, how many superstars, and this is back in the 90s now, did you see doing stuff that Rob Van Dam was doing? He was the most unique wrestler you had ever seen in professional wrestling. The things that guy did, you never saw done before or done in the way that he performed them. I mean, he invented moves. I mean, the Van Terminator, have you ever even seen anything remarkably close to that before? Ever. Someone jumping from coast to coast. I mean, Rob Van Dam was definitely a special talent. And whether or not he jumped to the ranks in WWE or not, uh, he had a tremendous career and I think will always be remembered as being definitely an innovator in the ring and what he did. And, of course, Taz. They talked about Taz, who was a great uh, ECW original, went on, didn't have maybe the career they thought. They thought he deserved better. They could have, WWE could have used him more. But for whatever reason, they dropped the ball with Taz. But they said Taz could have been a really big star uh, wherever he went, if it was WWE or elsewhere, Taz was someone who was underutilized. But uh, Taz in ECW, he was the man. I mean, any ECW fan would say a dream match would have been Taz versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, the top guy, the most badass guy in ECW against the top guy in the WWE. It was a dream match for fans because fans really loved and they believed in Taz in ECW. And unfortunately, WWE... You know, whether it was a height issue or not, they just they dropped the ball with Taz. But, uh, you know, Heyman even talked about some of his favorite uh, matches, his favorite episode of ECW. And as Joey Styles pointed out, Paul Heyman, of course, the mastermind, the genius, as a lot of people like to call him the evil scientist, he picked, of course, an episode of ECW that featured the uh, huge, long rivalry between Tommy Dreamer and Raven coming to an end, the return of Sabu and Rob Van Dam, Jerry Lawler invading ECW, and of course we all remember when he did the you know extremely crappy wrestling, and he would always talk down to ECW as if he was better than that little bingo hall wrestling. And he's mentioned, of course, in that same episode, we would see Taz defeat Shane Douglas for the ECW t- uh, television title. And it was just, what an episode. I, that's an action-packed episode. I believe he called it, was it Wrestlepalooza 97? I mean, I want to watch that episode. I wish it was on the network. Unfortunately, I don't think it's on the network right now, but that's definitely when it does arrive on the network. I want to relive that. I want to watch that again. I mean, they pointed out so many great moments from that particular show. Joey Styles, of course, a play-by-play man, uh, ECW's voice. And he said his favorite episode was, of course, the Malenko Guerrero Classic, in which he got to call his personal favorite uh, classic technical matchup. Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, just two out of three falls. These guys telling a tremendous story. And there are clips of that on the ECW Exposed Part 1. And I, I do believe you can watch that episode. I think it is a part of the ECW Hardcore TV episodes from the vault that they did add those 40 episodes they added uh was it a couple weeks ago that should be on the network so you can relive that but uh again it's funny paul Heyman 
talks about the most uh, storytelling episode. Joey Styles, of course, talks about his personal favorite announcing, how he was really on the journey and just really in the moment calling Guerrero and Malenko. And it's just, it was really cool to hear that and just the appreciation they had, the love that they had for that. And even talking about guys like Tajiri and Masato Tanaka and, uh, you know, Hakusa and Kaiobashi. I mean, they're talking about guys who, you know, nowadays, of course, Joey Styles even pointed out, you can go to YouTube, you can go to Daily Motion. There are websites in which you can see wrestling from all over the world, international uh, wrestlers and sports entertainers, superstars, whatever the hell you want to call the term, wrestlers, sports entertainers, superstars, whatever. You could watch guys from all over the world compete. But back then, in the 90s, you didn't have that. You didn't have these websites. So they talked about, you know, in order to see these international stars, you had to bring them over and have them compete at these, you know, indie shows. And occasionally you bring them into an ECW show and you have these American audiences watching these tremendously talented guys, guys who, you know, normally, as they pointed out, you would have to trade, you know, VHS tapes. You'd have to buy and trade with these people and order tapes online or something and or send a money order out to somebody just to get a, you know, a tape to see these guys because it just wasn't physically possible. There was no other way to see these international stars. And nowadays, of course, it's completely different with the internet, with YouTube and all the social media. I mean, these guys are all over the place, but back then it was very rare and it was very special when you got someone competing on a show like a Tajiri, a Tanaka, uh, even someone like super crazy psychosis, and they, they talked about the, the three-way dance, uh, you know, between Super Crazy, Tajiri, and Little Guido, and how Le- Little Guido, I mean, my fellow FBI, you know, come on, I, I love that guy in the full-blooded Italians. And the three-way dances were just legendary. Some of the greatest matches that uh, I saw in ECW were those three-way dances, or, or just the matches between Tajiri and Super Crazy. You see Super Crazy doing a moonsault off the balcony of what, the Manhattan Center, the Bingo Hall. I mean, Super Crazy took, I mean, he lived up to the name Super Crazy. That guy was insane, and he took so many risks, high risks in ECW. And just hearing those stories, you know, for someone like us who watched it, it really just brings it all back, and it really makes me miss those guys. But uh, the legacy of Paul Heyman, as he pointed out, you know, it's great that the fans remember ECW. They they hold it close to their heart. It's a great moment in history and in wrestling. But for a guy like Paul Heyman, it's just it's just something that he did. It's a part of his life. He's very proud of it. But, you know, his legacy is his children, much like Joey Styles said. Joey Styles, who bought uh, an action figure for his little boy, and his little boy likes to play with his superheroes and all that stuff. And Joey thought, hey, I'll you know bring him a – this figure of my of himself. Believe it or not, there's a Joey Style figure. Uh, the WWE released, this is a WWE figure, the WWE released a Joey Style toy, an action figure, so Joey gave it to his son, and he goes, well, why do I want to play with a toy where I could just play with you? I mean, you're my dad, let's just go out and play. I mean, that was really, it was really sweet, you know? It was a really cool story. Uh, and it was just a really great episode. These guys were authentic, they were real, they were honest, and, uh, that's what ECW was, man. It was just honest. It was in your face, man. You felt it. it. It was real. If you believed it, if you watched it, you loved it. You loved it with a passion. And, you know, these guys still have that passion, and it's cool to hear. 
Shadow somewhere, cutting a promo on Dean Ambrose, very dark promo. Uh, and I have to say, you know, I really wish they would cut the crowd audio during Bray's promos. This is not the first time I've said this. I've made this comment before. I make this comment about a lot of backstage stuff they do. You can't cut the crowd out of everything, but there are segments like this that I think are better if you do cut the crowd audio out of it. And I made that comment on Twitter, and boy, a lot of you had have really soured on Bray Wyatt based on your reactions when I put that tweet up. A lot of people were like, no, this is great. It exposes how bland and boring his promos are. They need to keep the crowd audio and show how bored and indifferent they are. There's a lot of people out there who are very bored and turned off by the same repetitive Bray Wyatt promos over and over and over again. They are they are kind of repetitive, I'm not going to lie. I still like Bray as a promo. He just has to, I don't know, he's got to shake it up a little bit. And I don't know how he does that, given his current character. Uh, so I, I can see where some of those people are coming from, but I think there was way too much hate on Bray for the promo. And I still maintain they got to cut the crowd noise out because it affects the show. It affects the show. And, and here's the other thing, and I've commented on this before, and it's one of those little Kevin Dunn things that drives me fucking nuts. And it's whenever there's a backstage segment with the authority talking to Randy Orton or it's an interview, whatever, any kind of backstage segment, they they have this thing where they cut to the crowd and they show the backs of everyone's head as either they're looking at the Titantron or more often than not, they're looking down at their phone because they don't give a shit about what they're watching on the screen, which is even worse when you see people are clearly not paying attention. I, I don't understand why they, they, they want to show the crowd being engaged, I guess. It's the it's one of the dumbest production things they do. It's a, it's a little thing. I nitpick it, but I hate it when they do that. And they started doing it a few years ago, and it just drives me nuts whenever they do it. Like, wh- what is the point? It takes you out of the moment. When I'm watching a segment with a guy in an interview backstage, all of a sudden they cut to the crowd, and they show this panning shot of the crowd. Who gives a shit? Who cares? You know, Alex Greenfield, who's a former writer for WWE, head writer for SmackDown for a couple years, he did an interview on Jim Ross's podcast that's worth listening to because he he also goes off on Kevin Dunn. He is no fan of Kevin Dunn, and he talks about what a lot of people have. He's not the only one. People who have worked in that company who say that Kevin Dunn is a jealous person. He undercuts anybody who he feels threatened by, whether it's a writer, an announcer, anybody. He, according to Greenfield, hates Jim Ross, and he told JR, he said, JR, whether you know this or not, Kevin Dunn hated you, and he thinks that Kevin Dunn had a hand in ultimately JR's downfall, because he's got Vince's ear, you know, who knows what he may have said to Vince. So, not a lot of people are fond of Kevin Dunn, but he made an interesting comment that I thought was actually very, very sound, and that is, when he became the head writer of SmackDown, and I don't know how much influence this guy thought he had, but... He said that he tried to get somebody else, somebody different, to run the production side of the SmackDown brand because his goal was for SmackDown to be as different from Raw as possible. That, to me, was one of the reasons the whole brand split was an epic fail. And for years I said, just end the brand split, end the brand split. And finally they did. It was a farce anyway for so many years. Even when they finally canned it, the brand split had really been dead for years. 
And people still will send me questions on occasion. Well, do you think they should bring back the brand split? Things are so boring now. Things are so bad. It's the same guys over and over. Bring back the brand split. No, they shouldn't bring back the brand split because these people are incapable of doing it the right way. If I knew they would do it the right way, I might endorse the idea. But they can't. And they won't. So I don't want to see a brand split. That's just going to make things worse. With the lack of depth that they have right now, you're going to divide the rosters? That would be a terrible move. And I think his point is accurate. If if there was a way to somehow make SmackDown look and feel completely different from Raw, I'm not just talking the roster. I'm talking the way the show looks. The intro, when it goes on the air, the look and feel of the whole thing. That would be fantastic. I think that's what, what Paul Heyman was kind of hoping they were going for when they relaunched ECW on Sci-Fi back in 06. It was going to be a more grungy, gr- you know, gritty old-school version of ECW that wouldn't look low-rent, per se, but it would definitely have a less polished look to it. And they chickened out, and they didn't do it. And what happened? ECW ended up looking like every other fucking show that they have, and it failed. Because it was no different. It, it was like what today would be main event. That's what it was. Or, or in some ways, NXT, because you had some of the newer faces they would throw on there. CM Punk made his main roster debut, as part of the ECW brand. I believe Jack Swagger did as well. So maybe it was like a hybrid mix of main event and NXT. But there was nothing about the show that differentiated it from Raw or SmackDown, except the roster. So I I think uh, Greenfield made a very good point there, and it would have been very interesting to get somebody else in there and say, listen, let Dunn handle Raw, and we'll have this guy, this this production guru from the NBA that we're going to hire, and let him run SmackDown. And the, the whole show will just look and feel different. And obviously that never happened. And that probably is why Kevin Dunn was not fond of Mr. Greenfield. But I, I do think there is something to be said when it comes to Kevin Dunn and his vision of what the WWE product is. He has his little go-to devices, whether it's a, ca- a certain camera shot. Or remember when the shield would come out and the shaky cam it just drove me nuts. It was like, oh, God, just please hold the fucking camera still, please. Oh, no, we got to shake the camera up to make it look like it's just pandemonium and chaos. And, like, part of the reason the show is so stale, there's a lot of reasons why the WWE product feels stale. Part of that is that everything looks the same. The Raw set. They invested all those millions of dollars to have their little HD set that can transform into, you know, to put whatever logo, whatever they want on that, that screen by the entranceway. But when you look at Raw in the 1990s, and you look at Raw in the 2000s, and you look at Raw today. The radical change in the way that Raw looked from just 93 to 97. And then compare the way Raw has looked pretty much since the Attitude Era to the way it looks today. It's the same set. It's the big Titantron. It's the ramp, although the ramp now isn't really much of a ramp. I mean, the ramp used to be much higher. But it's the same damn set. Everything pretty much looks the same. The graphics and stuff may change. The music may change. But the basic look of the show is the same. There's been no radical transformation. If you, if you, the last time you watched Raw was 98, and you tuned into Raw now, you'd probably look at it and say, okay, now it's in HD, so there's more colors. But it basically looks the same. So there's a lot of different things about the show that are the same. Nothing really changes. Maybe it would with somebody else in that position. A different vision of what the show should look like, I think, would really freshen things up quite a bit. 
I think it would freshen things up a lot. Wouldn't change the the creative. That's not going to make the creative suddenly get good. But I think that has a lot to do with the staleness of the product. I really do. And as long as that guy is at the helm and he's in power, and I imagine he will be as long as Vince is around, then this is the way it's going to be. And I'm sure when that day comes that Vince is no longer around and Triple H and Stephanie take over, one of the first things they do is probably going to get somebody new in that catbird seat running the show from the production end that I think that they'll be better off for. Okay, JJ, before we run, uh, let's get your commentary on this, on that clip that you just heard. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Dunn uh, uh, produces the TV, and if you got rid of him out of that position, you know, would it really make that much of a difference? As he even pointed out towards uh, his uh, closing argument there, would it really change the WWE if you got him out of his position? I mean, you would still have the same creative. You would still have the WWE coming up with the same goofy jokes for John Cena. You would still see the bunny and Adam Rose. You would still see if the authority were around them opening the show and their segments. You're talking about really nitpicking on uh, the production values and that everything looks the same and the sets and you know, when you go to a, sh- a wrestling show, you go to see the talent. You go to see the performers. Do you go to see the Titantron? Do you go to see the entrance stage? Do you go to see the video segments of the shaky camera that the Shield has? You know, I mean, they're, they're all part of the, the, the picture. I can understand that. And, you know, especially during the brand separation when they had Raw was really its own show and it had its own superstars and SmackDown was its own show and it had its own superstars. They tried to have the different fields of red and the blue and the big fist. Everyone remembers the big fist on SmackDown or they used to have those. I don't even know what the hell they were, those rings. If you remember when SmackDown first debuted, it had like these rings at, at the at the ramp, at the entrance ramp, and they got rid of that. They got the, the big fist and the, the glass background or whatever, the broken glass. And uh, Rav, of course, always had the, the big Megatron at the, the entrance way it had. Uh, back in the old days, it just had like a curtain. There was the Titan Tron and there was a curtain. There were no lights. There were no whatever. I mean, it's a very small, nitpicky thing. I can see his point how when you see a Raw or you watch NXT, you want to see something different. Uh, we often say that the pay-per-views, I was joking how a lot of fans were calling Survivor Series Sunday Night Raw because it basically felt like Raw. It has the same look. It's got the same Titantron. It's got the same you know ramp, the ring, whatever. It's just got a different graphic. It has the Survivor Series graphic. I mean, other than that, nothing really changes production-wise. But is the production what's wrong with the WWE? Is the production what's making the WWE stale? Maybe it's a part of it, but it's not the big picture. I mean, if you get rid of Kevin Dunn and have someone take his place, I mean, would the show be produced better? I mean, that's arguable. We wouldn't know unless someone actually did it and took over, and maybe if we saw any changes besides, you know, a new theme song here or there. Uh, you know, it's it's a very nitpick thing to say. I, don't, I mean, I can't say for certain. I mean, he brings up, uh, it's an interesting point, would the W really change that much? I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, if you don't like what you're watching on the WWE right now, eh, that wouldn't really alter your opinion, I think. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It could be part of it, but at the end of the day, it's always going to be the creative. It's always going to be the talent. It's always going to be the people in charge who dictate what you see and how you see it. But the production values, 
you know, it, it's just a part that you're not supposed to really notice. You're not supposed to pay that much attention to that kind of little, little details. I mean, it could be annoying, yeah, sure, but uh, that's not going to halt your overall experience if you like or don't like what you're seeing on Monday Night Raw. That's just my take. Uh, that's a good point, and Blackjack, do you agree? Okay. What was that, King? You agree? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, somewhat. They they make their points. Okay, we'll be back on next Tuesday, of course. Everybody have a nice Thanksgiving. Also, on December 4th, we will have Florida Prosecutor Stacey Konowitz to talk about the Bill Cosby rape allegations, uh, plus Adrian Peterson and the Ferguson situation. But uh, a week from Tuesday, we'll be back. Have a good Thanksgiving, uh, Blackjack and JJ. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye, my brother. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Uh Uh-oh, they're getting wild again out here.